Tonight, uh, we, I want to heading into Easter and Sunday coming up, Easter Sunday. It's a big moment in the church calendar. Easter is one of those. In fact, Easter is it. We are an Easter people. We are a people that are the derivative of, uh, of what happened in the Easter story. And uh, what I want to do tonight is this morning, we, we're kind of doing this series uh, we, we kind of started last week, but we didn't get there because we did something in the morning that was different than what we expected, and then we had the One You Man celebration together in the evening. But in the, what I want to talk about tonight is what is the gospel? Because as we, as we head into Easter, what can we expect? What, what is this lens? And this morning I said to the guys, it's like, what is the lens through which you see your life? What is the lens through which you see the gospel what is the lens through which you understand Jesus? Because the lens that you see is like wearing a pair of glasses and uh, you get those special glasses now that have a tint that you can see at night. And it's, and it's the tint of the glasses, the makeup of the glasses helps you understand or helps you see what's in, what the reality is in front of you. And what I want to do tonight is I want to look at the gospel and, and, and try to re-picture that or, or frame it so that we've got a lens through which to expect next weekend. So in a sense, I want to prepare us for next weekend because actually next weekend is a big, is a big moment for us as a church. And it's a big moment. The cross and all that happened there and more than that, the resurrection is a, is a, is a profound, profound, life-changing, cosmic-altering event that happened in history. And uh, so I want to look at this. If I, say, if I had to say, for you, say to you, what is the gospel? There's a large portion of the church that would probably say, a lot of people that would say the gospel is, is that Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life, which is true, but that's not the gospel. In fact, the gospel is never ever preached like that ever in the scriptures. You might say this, if you had to ask you what is the gospel, You'd say, well, we're all sinners and beyond, without the death of Jesus, we can't be in relationship with Him. That's true. But that is not all of the gospel. That's true, but it's not all of the gospel. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to take the reduction of the gospel and make it big again and make Jesus big again so that we can actually understand the story that we're in. And that word story is a, key, is a key word for us. So why did Jesus die on the cross? You, would also, you could also ask it in that kind of way. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sins. True, but that's not all the gospel. That's part of the gospel. You could also say this, why did Jesus die on the cross? So that I can go to heaven. Yeah, when you believe in Jesus the forgiving work of Jesus, and you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, yes, the, the result is that we do end up in heaven, but that's not the good news. There's even better news. There's bigger news than us just going to heaven. In fact, I want to say this. Actually, the gospel at the heart of the gospel is us not waiting to go to heaven. It's us bringing heaven to earth. That's the story of the gospel. At the heart of the gospel is that we have eternal life now. Eternal life is the life of the age to come. It's that, it's those, hey, that, that, that life that will be life when Jesus returns and renews all things. 
And what happens is in Christ, we have Jesus, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we have Christ within us, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and what we do is we are ready for that moment by having eternal life already. Not just waiting to get eternal life, but actually starting to live and understand what it means to live with eternal life now. And the scriptures are full around that. So you can understand this. What did, why did we die on the cross? What is the gospel? And you can have all these, these views that are not wrong, at all, not wrong, but I think just a reduced view of what happened next weekend as we celebrate Easter. So I ask you this. This morning I spoke about what is the gospel or, or the gospel as being more than, more than a, 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 a formula but actually a story. Tonight I want to say this about the gospel, that the gospel is more than good advice, it is a good news story. You see, the, the gospel is not advice on how to be a better person. It's more than that. The result of adopting the gospel is that you become a better person. But that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. The good news is not better advice on how to live more morally or any of these sorts of things. It's not good advice. It's good news. It's a story about what Jesus did and accomplished at a moment in history that changed everything. Not just my life, but in fact the whole cosmos, the whole universe was shaken and stirred by what he did. So if you look at the Bible, and the, and the, the reality around this as we, as we get, I want to read three texts. We never ever see the gospel preached like that. In fact, some people argue that Jesus never preached the gospel. Friends, the gospel is in the gospels. That's why they're called the gospel of Mark, Luke, and John. If you want to know the gospel, read the gospels. Remember, Paul interpreted Jesus. We've got to see Paul through the lens of Jesus, not Jesus through the lens of Paul. So what we do often in the church is we read the Galatians and we read all the Ephesians and we read all those epistles that were helped, that were written so that uh, to help the church in their context to different congregations to help them understand the gospel. But actually the gospel, the, the big story, is actually found in the gospels. The gospel is the story about Jesus. It's the story about Jesus and what Jesus did and what Jesus, how Jesus became king of all things. And that's what I want to get into tonight. So let's have a look at Mark chapter 1 as, a, as an example of how Jesus preached the gospel. After John, Mark chapter 1 verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Good news is gospel. That's what the word means. So Jesus went around proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God. And this is what he said. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, his good news, Jesus' good news, is that the kingdom had come. And the kingdom had come in him. And he was the kingdom coming. So actually the gospel is in Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is centered around this hero of the story called Jesus. And any gospel that doesn't start with Jesus ends up going skew. Do you know what? That 50% of decisions made for Jesus don't end up being followed through on. And I suggest this, the reason why that is the case, is that we've made the gospel forgiveness of sin not a story about Jesus that results in the forgiveness of sin. 
Because what happens is, when things do go wrong, and things do go wrong, is we start to suddenly think, but hang on, is God against me? Did I do something wrong? No, 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 the point of us, what the thing that we've got to believe is that Jesus is king. That Jesus has been made, God has made, been made king again. God has taken back all that was his in Christ. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said. Now go and make disciples. You see, the first point of reference for the gospel is to know this, is that Jesus is king, and Jesus is Lord. And he's not just king of the universe, he's actually Lord of my life. You see, and then when things go wrong, things can go wrong here because we know that things are right there because he's Lord. Jesus doesn't change, even though things on earth change. And so we see this in Mark chapter 1. Let's have a look at Luke chapter 24 and see how Jesus preached the gospel. Verse 25. He said to them, this is the two on the road to Emmaus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? The Christ. Remember, Christ is not Jesus' surname. Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one. So Christ is that, is that weighted, that was an anticipated reality that, the, that the Israel was waiting for, was that the Messiah, that the promise of this anointed one that would come and set the worlds to rights and put Israel back on the track and put people back in relationship with God. Not the Christ, uh, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Right there, Jesus preached the gospel. He went back to Moses, he went back to the prophets, and he explained to the, the two of them on the road that actually this is a story about himself. This is a story about Jesus. Friends, it's not primarily a story about us. It's a story about him and who we are in him. You see, as soon as we get the story where it's about us, when things go wrong, us are a problem. But when it's a story about him, when things go wrong, it's okay because he still stays him. He still stays king. And so you see here, this is how Jesus began to preach the gospel. If you have a look at, at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the classic text about the gospel that Paul preached now. That, those two were what Jesus preached in the Gospels. This is what Paul preached in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you have taken your stand. By this Gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you, ha otherwise you who have believed, you have believed in vain. So he's saying, I want you to hold on to this Gospel, otherwise you believed in vain. Verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. I love this according to the Scriptures, because what according to the Scriptures does is it takes us back to the story that God's telling. And forgiveness of sin, the gospel without the forgiveness of sin without the enablement of human beings to be in a reconciled relationship with God, is not good news. So the forgiveness of sin is a big part of the gospel, but it's not the whole gospel. There's a bigger story at stake in this gospel that Jesus has inaugurated. 
So he says this, that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Remember, these were Scriptures that were prophesying this would happen. So what he's doing is he's connecting what happened with Jesus back to the Old Testament, Old Testament text, which actually anticipated this Jesus coming and what he would do and what he would put things and how he would put things right. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me as one abnormally born. But what we start to see here, the gospel has got to do with, according to the scriptures, he died for our sins, according to the scriptures, he was raised on the third day, and according to the scriptures, he was buried and then raised on the third day. And so, according to the scriptures is the big idea that I want to get across here. Over and over again, he says, according to the scriptures. That is shorthand for, this is according to the story that God has been telling from the beginning of time. And so, I want to, I want to do this with us. If we can go to that PowerPoint, please, Guru. Just to try and help us understand this. If I had to show you that picture, what would you, what is that? What is that picture? What is the, we, I know it's a, it's a Formula One racing car, but, but what does that represent, that picture? What, what's the context of that picture? So you could look at that picture and you could think, well, it's a racing car that was in a race and it, was, it lost control and, and spun and was now trying to regain control. Or maybe it was a, race, a, a Formula One car that was actually crashing. It's a bad news story, this. Not a good news story. But in actual fact, this picture, that's Lewis Hamilton's car, his Mercedes, who of which I'm, of course, a fan of. I would never put a Ferrari up there. <laughs> and that picture is taken when he won the Drivers' Championship last year in 2018 in the race that he won it. And at the end of the race, he did donuts around the track with his car to celebrate. So actually, that picture is a good news story. It's a, it's a celebration story. But unless you know the context of the story that it was in, that could mean anything. Understand? We've got to know the story we're in. That's the big idea. The story gives us the lens through which we see the good news. So now, if I gave, you, if I, if I gave this to you, and you didn't know anything about the Bible, what would you think? You could think, well, it's a man dying. It's a man brutally beaten. Probably he was a thief or a, somebody that deserved it. Because why would anybody do that to a human being unless they actually did something wrong? You can see, well, maybe it happened a long time ago because it was on a crucifix. It was on a cross, so... And that was the Roman way of, of, of not just killing somebody, but actually humiliating somebody. Naked, hanging naked on a cross. But you see, friends, that story, that picture, can mean anything unless you know the context in which it came in. And that story, friends, is the culmination, is the redemptive work and hand of God from the beginning of time when it went wrong, and it, it was God's plan to put things right was that story. 
That's Jesus. That's the story of Jesus. And so it matters the story that we're in. You take a picture, it matters the story that it's in. And friends, what happens is when we reduce the gospel to Jesus, has, Jesus died for me because he loves me and has a plan for my life, that's not that story. That's part of that story. It's a small part of that story. In fact, the story is way more profound than that. Or Jesus died so that I could go to heaven. He didn't just do that so that we could go to heaven, friends. That picture represents something profound in God's story. Absolutely profound. And so I want to unpack a little bit of what that looks like. Leslie, you begin said this. The way we understand human life depends on what conception we have of the human story. What is the real story of which my life is a part? You see, we never understand who we actually are until we understand the story we're in. And as, as believers, as people that put their faith in Jesus, or one need to put their faith in Jesus, friends, we need to tell people they're part of a story, not just across a line that they step across and get their barcode and make them ready for heaven and not going to hell. Alistair McIntyre said this, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself a part how do I live my life? How do I live? How, how, how do I make sense of this life? Well, what story are you part of? Are you part of a story of pain, of hurt, disappointment, abandonment, bad education, bad opportunity, no opportunity? What story are we part of? Because depending on what story you think you're part of, that's what you're gonna, how you're going to behave, and that's how we're going to act. And you see, friends, what God wants to do through the gospel, and next weekend is a profound time, and I trust after tonight you're going to be so excited to celebrate Easter because you're going to be reminded again of the story that you're part of, this cosmic, unbelievable story that God pulled together in Jesus Christ and put destiny over His creation again and took back all that was lost and put it back into Christ's hands so that it can be back into his human agent's hands, into humanity's hands again to get on with the job that we're called to do. The gospel story. The gospel story started with God creating. God creator, he created. In that creation, he created humanity. He created human beings. And he created them not just to be with, but actually to perform a function. He put them in a garden. He said, I want you to tend and to take, take care of this garden. But more than that, I want you to take, take the, the limits of the garden and express them and go further with it. And he creates a man and he creates a woman because they can't do this job without each other. And what happens is, is the enemy gets into the garden. And he deceives these two people. And they abandon the plan that God had for them and abandon the, the, the lie and, and start to agree with the lie that the, that the enemy put into them. And actually what happens is judgment comes in. Instead of them taking the glory of God, actually they, they lose the glory of God. And God banishes them from the God and it puts them into exile in, in a way. That's the fall. But even at that very moment, God comes up with a plan because actually what happens is, is they start to realize they're naked. You start, they start to realize their vulnerabilities and their weaknesses. They become self-aware. 
And so God kills an animal and he, and he covers them with an animal. And straight away you start to see that God's redemptive plan needs to be atoned for, that there needs to be sin, that needs to be paid, price needs to be paid for by the death of something. But already you start to see God's plan to start to redeem. And time goes on and what happens is God chooses this man called Abraham. And he starts a redemptive story by this man named Abraham who is nowhere, he's in the back end of nowhere. And he chooses him, he says, I want you to be the, the father of the faith. And, I, and you're going to have descendants more, more numerous than the, the stars in heaven and the sand on the seashore. And actually you're going to be the prototype of what it means to be part of the good news story. And he chooses Abraham. And from Abraham comes Israel, the people of God. And they go through a whole story in, in Egypt, and they come out of Egypt, and there's all this history in between, and you read it through the Scriptures in Genesis and Exodus. But in this plan, God is creating His redemptive, redemptive plan to, to take back what was lost in the garden. And what He does is He, he, he then, in that redemptive plan, understanding that, I'm going to get what, what that looks like now, but he, he, he starts this redemptive plan with always this in view, that ultimately what he wants is new creation, recreation. God doesn't take the old earth and rubbish it, and the old human beings and rubbish them. Actually, no, this is a restorative story, a recreational story that we're part of. So you see, everything in Christ, when you put our faith in Christ, is restorative, redemptive, and recreational. God can take what is not in your life and make it like it is. Because that's the story we're part of. And so we look forward to this day when Jesus will return and all things will be made new. But we're in a story where Jesus has already broken into this world and into this age and begin. He is the firstborn of new creation. Firstborn of new creation. He's the first evidence of the fruit of what's coming with a resurrection body, the first human being to have a resurrection body. And I'm running ahead of myself. It starts like this. God chooses a people, Israel. They mess it up. They're meant to be a light to the world. He gives them, he gives them his, uh, the, the Torah, the, the, the teaching, the the law, he gives them everything that they need to be different to the rest of the nations so that they can be, a, a, so they can be, communicate the light that is theirs under God to the rest of the nations. And what happens is instead of the nations becoming like them, they become like the rest of the nations. And what happens is God sends prophets to them. And so you see Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all these guys, they, they start prophesying to God, you're going off track, you're going off track, you need to get back on track, they don't listen. And in fact, the Israel story is a failure. But God is not defeated in any way because God knows, and they, the, the, eventually the prophets start to prophesy that actually there's a man that is going to come, a Messiah that's going to come, that's going to put all things right. And everything that was lost in Adam, he's going to restore. And everything that was lost in Israel, he's going to restore. And actually he is going to be the first fruits of the new creation, and a new creation will come through him. And so we start to see this prophetic picture of a Messiah that Jesus is meant to come. Friends, Jesus then comes. And what he does is he creates a people 
on the day of Pentecost. He gathers people, he empowers the people to take what has happened to him, the first fruits of all creation, and for these people to become those first fruits people in all of creation, to, and to take what he has got in him, in us, to all the world. And so God's redemptive plan is put into place. This is the story that we're part of. And the story is this, it's a fallen creation that is, a, that is the power of sin and death and evil and Satan and all these things. And what happens in, at the moment and on Easter, what happens is that the cross breaks in. There's forgiveness of sin, but there's more than forgiveness. I can't wait to preach next weekend. And it's more than, in the series, it's more than forgiveness. The gospel is more than you're just forgiven for your sin, friends. The gospel is you have been forgiven for your sin and you've received resurrection life. Resurrection life. And so what happens is in Christ, the new, the age to come is broken in. It's a renewing and restoring a spirit of God that comes to right now prophetically. That's why the church is a prophetic group of people. It's, 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 it's spoken of the church in, in, in theological terms as an eschatological group of people. It's an end times group of people. It's a group of people that see what's coming and they start to live it now because they're empowered by the Spirit of God in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so we're this eschatological, end times, prophetic group of people that begin to tell the story of Jesus through our lives, not just our words. The way we relate to each other, the way we connect with each other, the way we live in harmony, the way we love each other, the way we do business, the way we do teaching, the way we do anything that we do, the way we do that is an, an, an incredible telling of the story of Jesus in all its forms. And that's the church age in which we live, friends. And so we now live in this, we are citizens of heaven, but at the same time citizens of South Africa or Malawi or Zimbabwe or wherever you come from. There will be a time when we'll be citizens of heaven only on the new earth. But now we're citizens of heaven, but we're also citizens of South Africa. And we bring heaven to South Africa because we're citizens of heaven and South Africa. And wherever you put your, your feet and wherever your feet shall tread, he says, that place I will give to you. That's the place that heaven must come to earth through your life. Because you are the temple, the place where heaven and earth meet. You see, this is the story that we're a part of. It's way more than Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life, of which he does have a plan for your life. But actually, he's got a plan that we're wanting to know we want in on, not just the plan that we have for our lives. And so this is part of the story that we're in. So my question is this to us tonight, is what is the gospel? Well, friends, the first thing that we've got to know is the gospel is, the f is Jesus is at the center and the fulfillment of a story. The gospel is a story. The gospel is a story of how God in Christ redeemed all things and brought all things to himself and became king of all the things, of all the universe and all that is around us. So to evangelize is to tell the story of Jesus in such a way that people fall in love with Jesus. And so often I think what happens is the way we feel like we need to evangelize is to tell people how sinful they are. And there's, one, there's, a, there's a method of evangelism where you preach the law so that they need Christ. And I'm sure that's absolutely valid. 
But friends, what happens if we actually just told people about Jesus and how amazing he is? Scott McKnight, in one of his, his talks on, on, the, on the gospel, he says it's like the story of Aslan. Actually, by the end of the, 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 the story, everybody loves Aslan and wants to ride on his back. You see, we need to preach the gospel and live the gospel in such a way that everybody falls in love with Jesus, friends. Friends, if they get Jesus, they get forgiveness of sin. If they fall in love with Jesus, they get the story that God has for their lives. If they get Jesus, you get everything. But friends, if you go for the lower, you miss getting Jesus. And the gospel is a story about Jesus. And falling in love with Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus and living, knowing Jesus as the, as the first fruits of that first human being who is a model and example of what it means to be this kind of people. To evangelize is to tell the story of Jesus. The gospel is a declaration of the story of Jesus. See, friends, the reason why we can have victory, the reason why we can be more than conquering, the reason why we can have ceilings broken over our lives is because Jesus is king, and he is more than conquering, and he is ultimately victorious and can never be defeated again, and he has no ceilings above his life. But you see, when you get Jesus, you get that. You see, we've got to have a, we've got to have a paradigm and a lens that we actually just want to know Jesus. We want to fall in love with Jesus. We want more of Jesus. We want to know more about Jesus and who He is and become like Him. See, the gospel, friends, is not only a, st it's a story about Jesus, it's actually also a story about the power of God. It's more than good advice. It's a story. It's good news. It's a good news story. It's more than good advice. It's a good news story. It's a story about the power of God. Friends, the gospel is not a, the it's not a theology or a set of doctrinal statements. It is that, but it's more than that. It is the power of God to make things new. And in Christ, all things are made new. And He's the first beginning part of those that are made new. It's the power of God. So the gospel is the power of God. And friends, when we talk about Jesus and tell people about Jesus, the power of God comes through Jesus. And when they say to you, but then what must I do to be saved? But surely I can't be because I'm so sinful and you don't know what I've done, Stan. Then you can say to them, yeah, but Jesus died so that your sin could be forgiven. But friends, it's about Jesus being king. And I, I, I just there's such a sense that actually when we put Jesus in his rightful place, that actually everything comes. And I feel sometimes we aim too low instead of aiming for Jesus. So it's not a theology or doctrine, it's the power of God to make things new. The it's a story about the power of God where something happened in history that changed the dynamic, friends. Friends, it was a cosmic story. It was not just a story about you and me. It was a story where he is renewing all of creation. That's why all of creation longs and groans for the sons of God to be revealed. All of creation is groaning for, in this story. And we are the agents of this kingdom when we put our trust in him and empowered by the Spirit. We are the agents of the story that bring the groanings that know the groanings of creation. 
It was an announcement that God has acted in power to restore the balance of power again. Friends, it is a story about God as king again. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. Everything is his. It's back in his hands. That's why it's a story of hope. That's why it's a story of hope. It's a hope for this nation. It's a hope for this, our lives because he's back in charge. Is he in charge of our lives? It's not only a story about the power of God, it's a restoration story. As I said earlier, it's not about God waiting to kill off a rotten world. That, you know what that would be like? It's like... It would be like you getting bitten by a snake and instead of you just killing the snake, you killed you and the snake. That's not God. God is the anti, Jesus is the anti-venom. Jesus is the antidote to which a rotten world is coming, being restored and being brought back to life. See, it's a, restor, it's a restoration story. The gospel proclaims that through Jesus, all of creation is being liberated from the power of sin. It is a big picture story, friends, that we are part of that we get to be participate in and play in. It's not just a restoration story. It is a comprehensive story. It's about all of life, friends. It's about every waking moment of our lives. This, this gospel story is not just about a church moment. It's about all of our lives becoming part of the story. And so what happens is we say yes to Jesus, but we stay in our story instead of getting into his story. Surrendering our lives to his story. It's comprehensive. It's everything, all of life, all of the decisions that we make are in line with the story because when we don't live according to the story, we represent him badly. So the reason why we want to be holy is not because the preacher said or the Bible said or anything said. The reason why we want to be holy, friends, is because the story is one of holiness because we serve a holy God. See what I'm saying? It changes the motivation when you understand we're in a story. It's not a line we cross and now we've got a whole bunch of rules to... It's not good advice. It's a good story. And when we start to live in this story and understand the story that God is telling through Christ and participate in it, friends, the power of God changes things and recreates things. And so when we lay our hands on the sick, we see them recover. We see people freed. We see prisoners that are in prison set free, oppressed, and all those people set free because it is a comprehensive story where the whole of creation and the whole of human life is touched by the story. It is not only a comprehensive story, a restoration story, and a story about the power of God. There's also an unfinished story. It's a story where we have called to play a part. It's a story in which those Old Testament people, Israel, had a job to do. Not just to be Israel for Israel, but be, were blessed to be a blessing to the nations. So actually, this story that we're part of is an unfinished story. I said this morning, Acts has got 28 chapters, and actually we are Acts chapter 29. We are the, Acts, we are the book of Acts, chapter 29, the yet-to-be-written chapter, that actually are the lives we live out it would, start to, it would start to fill out the story more and more and more from one generation to the next until Jesus returns. It's an unfinished story. That's why, friends, mission and reaching out and evangelism and planting churches and everything that we do that's good as a church is not just optional extras. 
They're part of the story that we're in. You can't have the gospel without that. It all comes as one big package. You can't separate them into different things of what I like and what I don't like. Everybody knows, statistics have proved, that the most effective way to evangelize the world is to plant churches. And so as the people of God, we have under God to tell the story about Jesus, and one of the ways that we're going to get it out there is to plant churches and to raise up leaders and influence cities and businesses and different spheres of life. But we're going to tell the story wherever you are. You see, it's all of life. It's not just in the church building. Wherever you are, you tell the story of Jesus. Jesus is king, and so I don't do business deals like that. Jesus is king, so I actually I love you unconditionally even though you hurt me. Jesus is king, so I don't lord my authority over you. I come and it's an authority to serve you because Jesus is king. That's the story I'm living out. You see, this story that we're living out, friends, is an unfinished story and we have a job to do. So my question to you tonight is, what story are you living out of? What story are you living out of? Have we surrendered our lives to the story that Jesus is telling, that God is telling in Christ? Or are we actually living our stories and asking God to bless them? You see, friends, we are not called to walk in front and to let Jesus follow us. Actually, we're meant to be following Jesus. Jesus doesn't follow us, we follow him. We put our lives in his story and live according to that story. We don't put our, live our lives and invite Jesus into our stories. If we do that, what happens is we, 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 we become the Lord of that story. We become the author of that story. And then when things go wrong in that story, you blame God. Rather what we do is we know this. God, you are king and lord of all the universe. You're a good father, you're a loving father, you're a merciful father, you're a kind father, you're a generous father, and you never stop being that no matter what. And I'm going to live that story out no matter what. And we're going to face whatever we face no matter what, because you are king. Because the gospel says it so. That's the good news of the gospel. So when we see that, that picture of Jesus up there, what comes into our minds is not that I'm going to heaven. What comes into my mind is that this is the power of God at work. This is a comprehensive story that affects all of my life, and I take that story and live that story wherever I go. When I see that picture, I understand this, that there's work to do. There's a job to do. Because under God, the story's not finished being told, and it's actually I'm the agent of telling this story on and on through the generations. My question is, what story are you living because Easter Sunday is coming, friends, and it's so excited. I'm so excited to hear again and to read again about the story of Jesus, not only his death and his burial, but actually also his resurrection. But more than his resurrection, actually in, in, in a few days' time comes Pentecost, and a little bit before that comes his ascension, where he pours out Pentecost. Friends, it's such an exciting story because what God has done is he's, he's unfolded the story from the beginning of time to now in this place of Jesus and he said to his church, now church, go and be me to the world. Go and represent me to the world. Go and tell the story that I've been telling to the world and let them fall in love with me. Let them glorify me. Let them praise me. What story are you living out? Are we living lives surrendered to the story of God? 
surrendered to the story that God is telling. What is shaping your story? Is it the gospel? Or is it pain? Is it disillusionment? Is it all that comes with this life? Because, friends, to be saved, when we see that picture of Jesus on the cross, every time we see that, every time we break bread, we should be reminded that we're in a story. Not just that I've got my fire insurance. Actually, I'm in a story, a redemptive power of God's story. And I'm to take that to the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.